Welcome to the T-Hud Popcast. I'm Moby. I'm Leland Steele. Yes, Leland, it is a rainy, cold November. Oh, it's ugly. Yeah, it is ugly. So lazy, no guest, and no condescending controversy. Oh, wow. You know what? I'm just happy you showed up for this one. Yeah, I had a great time recording uh, with you for Shannon Parola's uh, Game of Nerds cast, which I set up. Yeah, so listener, every once in a while, a man does something really, really stupid, which is, I don't know what happened, but it's totally my fault. Uh, Shannon Parola, our very first ever guest, our only current three-time guest, approached me to set up a date to record her podcast and I put it in my phone I thought I put a reminder but somehow some way both the reminder did not get through because this was set up I think at least a week and a half if not two weeks in advance Um, the reminder didn't get through and long story short I'm running near Marty's grave in Alder Grove British Columbia on some forsaken trail and I get a text message from Shannon saying are you joining us <laughs> in that moment in that moment it felt like I got punched in the gut I uh, felt so friggin bad I really did yeah yeah and you know until now I refrain from razzing you but man was Shannon heartbroken that you didn't show up she was so incredibly despondent like the episode probably is not gonna be very good because she was yeah you just it just threw her off so so much (laughs) you know what if so she covered it up because i got a bunch of emojis saying i love you moby and i forgive you and i want you on again well i want you on for the first time (laughs) (laughs) yes and i do of course kid uh no <laughs> she so obviously she was disappointed um that both of us right. couldn't be on but i think uh we she and i salvage it i think the episode would be great which i believe it comes out near the end of december though right right yeah i i i honestly felt terrible because that is not something i do i'm usually actually very very reliable honestly listener um i it, it, I, I thought of it as a cancer As I continued to run feeling terrible, I thought of it as a cancer, meaning a number of errors came in, everything from me just plain not remembering, which is bad enough, to the phone not going off. And, you know, there's there's honestly no excuses. Like, shit happens each week. Sure, I had some stuff happen, but I have stuff happen most weeks, and it's no excuse. So, I feel terrible. Well, again, she... uh... She was she was quite forgiving. It was actually funny because after we were done, she like looked at her phone and like you had called her like less than five minutes after we decided to start because she's like, okay, let's give them to, you know, whatever time it was and then we'll start. And then then you had like called and but I didn't realize you weren't even home. I was just expecting you to maybe just like jump into the Zoom call halfway through or something and join us. But no, like what ended up happening was I had um, been really obsessing about when to go for a run with the bad weather that was coming. And Sunday was warmth in like nine degrees Mm -hmm. and 0% of precipitation. So I basically just really got excited to do this run at this industrial park where I used to work at, which when it's Sunday or a holiday and there's no trucks and it's dead, you won't see another soul there. It's like having the world's best running track. Um, I don't think that's what made me forget 
but that's certainly what I was doing. Sure, yeah, yeah. No, I, she's a consummate professional, and I'm sure she'll, Unlike like she me. says, she'll love to have you. <laughs> yeah, she's putting us to shame. But I, I will tell you, though, without you around, somehow I was the, the bubbly positive one. <laughs> I don't know what happened. You know what? Now I'm going to have to listen to this episode. I really am, just to see what happens, so... Okay, let's jump into it. And listener, this is probably the first ever disclaimer that I'm going to do for this episode. And I don't really know if it's required, but I mean, the episode is going to drop middle of November, shortly after Remembrance Day. And I was inspired by Remembrance Day or Veterans Day for listener in the U.S. uh, to do a theme show on wargaming. But that said... You know, honestly, there's no bigger supporter of veterans than myself. I love veterans. I'm very much into war history here. So we don't mean any disrespect doing this theme here. We have all the respect for veterans here. We're not at all trying to, like, belittle or um, use the holiday somehow for promotion. It it was an inspiration, um, but but one we'll be respectful with. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, in both of our topics, kind of we're... We don't even really talk about, I mean, we're talking about the games is really what we're focusing on. It's not like right. we're, we're not striking up a conversation of whether or not some of these games are detrimental, you know, positive. We're just kind of talking about the ones that we liked. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. So that's why I said, I mean, the topics are, is going to be respectful for both segments. So, um, but yeah, we decided, we kind of were iffy on a condescending controversy one. I think we just decided to kick the can down the road. So we'll keep that. A secret there um but gives us a little bit more time for banter i think i have my first three time banter Whew. yeah yeah so a little bit of banter here well i mean the first one i want to bring up is um on november 17th drops on uh disney plus the lego S- star wars holiday special and i'm really oh. excited about that <laughs> okay because if listener has ever seen, and it's very difficult to get through, the original Star Wars Holiday Special, which is an absolute legendary gong show. Yeah. Um, there is so much to ridicule. It's like you can't go a minute in that holiday special. And I managed to sit through it all, and I'm scarred. But there's so <laughs> much to... <laughs> there's so much you can ridicule if you actually get smart writers who still appreciate Star Wars. So I'm actually expecting this to be um, a cult classic gem. Okay. Yep. Wow. Yep. I mean, do you, sir, uh, Leland, you haven't invested in Disney Plus currently, have you? No, no. Well, and you're not really a Star Wars guy, so watching a Star Wars lego thing about an obscure holiday special you haven't even seen i can see why you oh no i'm i'm more than familiar with the star wars um, holiday special and like you say it is infamous so so are they is it are they parroting it is that what the whole thing they're just gonna they're poking fun at this garbage of a a holiday special okay yeah (laughs) so it's it's still gonna be you're gonna have a Chewbacca's family and you know watch some yeah and and life day and (laughs) stuff like that but the thing is you're parodying one of the easiest things to ridicule and parody that's ever been invented now it hasn't been announced I personally believe there's going to be a bunch of um famous cameos I could be wrong like voices and stuff like that but um 
we'll wait and see. I think mm-hmm. if there's not the cameos there, like if Hamill and James Earl Jones doesn't cameo, you know, Kylo Ren, eh, I might be a little disappointed, but yeah, should be good. What's your banter? My banter. Uh, I know you're a Star Trek fan, and yes, I. I mean, I've watched a bit of The Next Generation. I never really was uh, myself. But I actually started watching Deep Space Nine. Oh. Yeah. I'm about, I'm like, I think I just finished episode, like, 16 on season season one. So far, it's pretty cool. I'm kind of digging. It's kind of different because it's, like, on a space station and not a ship kind of thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's really, really interesting you say that because I actually, during quarantine in the spring got into it. I bummed through, I think, four or five episodes and kind of just got distracted, but it's been on my mind to jump back into it. So right. maybe I will. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I like it. Cisco's acting sometimes is really bad, though. Yeah. Yeah, I think he improves. Okay. Um, It's just like certainly. he's like in the theater every time he's on screen. <laughs> Well, if you see him, like, outside of this show, he really is kind of one of those theater guys. Like, you'll see him. I forget. They, like, went to interview him at his home because they were interviewing a bunch of the old Star Trek captains. And he just gets off his seat and goes to his piano and starts playing. And he's like, the (laughs) daisies are out. The sun is warm. And it's like, as the interviewer, like, what the hell do you do? Just interview (laughs) about Star Trek and you just move to your piano to play. (laughs) <laughs> so actors uh, can be weird yeah thespian at heart i think well i mean you know shatner has a huge ego so he's weird that way yeah um but patrick stewart was a consummate professional he was like a hardcore professional so he he probably was great to work with um kate mulgrew i know was a great professional too scott bacula nobody ever cares about <laughs> enterprise but i think he was probably a decent guy <laughs> um but yeah cisco was weird so you've seen all of the series then like you've watched some or if all all of every every single one or was this the first time you'd watch deep space nine too uh this is the first time that i will have watched deep space nine all the way through i actually for the first time completed voyager all the way through about three years ago mm-hmm um, I have not seen much of the original series, few episodes. I've seen most of Next Gen, but I still have some to get through. But yeah, I've seen all of Voyager. I've seen most of like the final seasons of Deep Space Nine. And like once they get into the Dominion War, it's really cool stuff. Yeah, I've heard the... Well, actually, I started listening to it just because um, not the last episode, but the episode released before on uh, Emma's podcast, the Pointless Parrot podcast. She Her guest, Crystal Dax... She, they were kind of talking about Star Trek as Crystal is a big Star Trek uh, fan, and she suggested Deep Space Nine is a good good place to jump in. And actually, her last name being Dak, she had a, had a, recently had a change in her last name and took the opportunity to change it to Dax in honor of one of her favorite characters. So it's kind of cool. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that is cool. I mean, I, I I don't know. My favorite ever Star Trek episode is a Deep Space Nine episode, but I don't really want to spoil it if you haven't seen it mm, okay. so uh, maybe maybe we'll talk when it's done all right so all yeah right. good good choice of shows i'll uh, i'll definitely join you in that one maybe even starting tonight um so my second banter here um this is just a thought okay and you can tell me if this is bs or won't work or something like that 
So a bunch of movies, as you know, have been delayed due to the pandemic. People are afraid of releasing them online. They've had some lackluster um, sales for the few that they've experimented releasing online, uh, you know, major studio movies. But here's my thought as I was thinking of Dune and Top Gun, which both have been delayed. Why not? Why not throw them out there at, you know, your 25 or 30 bucks for first run on your computer, you know, watching your home theater service, but then still plan to wide release them in a couple years? Because unless it's like some romance movie or drama, I would totally buy another ticket to see Top Gun in Dune in the theater. And I think mm. a lot of other people would too. That's... I. I think that's a really great idea, actually. Yeah, this is kind of something that came up uh, with Shannon and I um, on her podcast yet to be released, talking about kind of these, these rollouts and stuff and how, like, I mean, specifically the the uh, Mulan came up as a specific example we're talking about and kind of the way they tried to milk it for everything, the way Disney tried to milk it for everything they can, you know, have your subscription plus the additional fee to get the movie and all that kind of stuff. and. I guess it's a little different than your, your what you're saying as industry wide, but yeah, I think that's a I think it's a great idea. What how what what do they lose? I mean, it, it's just it's just another thing for. I mean, everyone's talking about how this pandemic is going to kill movie theaters. Is there not onus on these larger studios to do something to help prop up the theater industry because? I mean, they're just intrinsically connected as far as revenues go. So how, like, that's a perfect thing to be able to do once theaters are, right. you know, safe to go back to. I think that's a great idea. Well, I mean, I, I think a couple things go into my thoughts on this. Um, number one, by the time the movies will actually be released, it'll probably be about a year out anyways from right. when they were originally going to be released, maybe late 2021, something like that. Um, number two is I saw it simply as a reversal of the normal process. So you have people for these movies, like I'm, again, I'm talking action spectacle kind of movies. You got people like me that always were going to see Top Gun and Dune in the theater, no matter what. And we probably were going to buy it anyways, of course. But then you have that subsection of people that, you know, maybe don't like movie theaters that much anymore, or didn't like the movies that much to you know, go to the theater, but they would buy it online. And, you know, just like they would have let the theatrical run go and then buy it. Mm -hmm. uh, that I mean, that's, it's a crazy thought, but I would like to see that. I would like to see one of these major releases go, you know, look, we're going to release it now on digital download for, like I said, 25, 30 bucks, something like that. But we are going to do a theatrical release um still and see what happens i mean the movies are in the can they're good to go yeah they're done i mean you they're could, done you could be generating revenue off of them so okay so say i mean say they do and you know they find some type of success i imagine their box office numbers will obviously diminish be, they'll be decreased to what they may be projecting um with with an immediate theatrical release and only a theatrical release but Again, it goes back to like, I mean, whose, you know, quote unquote responsibility is it, does it need to be to make it so theaters can survive and yada, yada, and all that stuff. But all that stuff aside, like, 
what if later the model also becomes, you know, pandemic over everything kind of back to whatever the next normal is going to be. But what if the model then becomes a just both of those avenues simultaneously? It's yeah, it comes out to the theaters, but at the same time on the same release date in theaters, it's available for digital download for those people, like you say, that wouldn't be going to the theater anyways to be spending the money, but would be waiting the six to nine months until it hits you know, video until it hits video to be, <laughs> before they can see it or, or rent it or download it, right? Yeah, well, I think I think you have to revert back to the old normal. And, and it's for the exact reason that you're trying to lay out, which is supporting the movie theaters, because you are going to put more butts in the seat if you do the theatrical release first and then do the, you know, the online release. Yeah. Um, I think the studio is still going to get paid massive money either way if they did the simultaneous release. I mean, they got all the money coming in. Right. But you hurt the theaters at the cost. Like, the cost in my mind to the studios is they simply defer some of their income from the movie until six months down the road and it releases digitally or on Blu-ray. Whereas they're cannibalizing from the theaters a little bit if they release at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to advocate for here, really, because I don't particularly care or I'm attracted to going to the theater these days. Uh, and quite frankly, haven't been for a number of years, really. I mean, we've talked about before how very few right. movies that we actually get together and go to the theater to see anymore. It's, I mean, it used to be just an event for us, right? Like, now I... I I think honestly the la I think the last movie I went and saw the theaters was might have been Joker with Ghost Marty I I don't even know can't remember at this point. Yeah, um, I mean I'm I'm different actually. I mean like I've noticed that I go to movies less with friends, but then I've actually been picking up more and more going to movies alone, and also with uh, new friends like Drag on. So, um. Yeah, so I have attended several movies alone pre-pandemic, and I was kind of just really honestly getting into kind of like a nice groove because in my old age, like I'm fine with a movie being out for a little bit and, uh, you know, and then I just go when it's way less busy, I can get my favorite seat. Totally. Actually, and, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just kind of chilled out, though. Yeah. I mean, I do enjoy watching movies with you, even if it's at your place. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. You know? I mean, so yeah. You, you, I guess you, we kind of miss out on that. It is like a shared experience, right? That's one of one of very few things, as far as media goes, that can be a, a shared experience in like a massive room for a, for a large amount of people simultaneously. Right. It's it is incredibly unique, really. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So. Yeah, I hope theaters don't die. Um, it's a tough decision. I don't know what's going to happen. So we shall have to see, my friend. Um, well, my final banter is probably my shortest, and I'm going back to back because I know you don't have anything else. So you're tapped <laughs> out, baby. You went, you, you went all in on that one I, I, Yeah, I put everything on the table. <laughs> put everything on the table. Just comment if you have any on sean connery's death screen legend hasn't kicked around for several years do you have any good memories of his movie as a kid didn't give a shit you know thoughts but uh, i mean 
I like The Rock with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> that was a cool movie. I really liked that, that movie as a kid. <laughs> but other than that, like, not particularly. Right. You were never a James Bond, Hunt for the Red October no, sort of guy. No, no. Right. I mean, you know, I think he, if you look him up, he quite frankly had some attitudes that would not pass in 2020 <laughs> yeah. at all. They may not <laughs> yeah. have passed in 1980, but <laughs> you know, he, he was kind of the last of a dying breed where he was this Hollywood tough guy that really was like that in real life. You know, he was crabby. I heard a story actually after he died that he demanded more money for the rock, like partway through. He's just like, yeah, I must have more money. Really? And yeah, and he kind of <laughs> held them hostage. Yeah. Um you know, he just he, like I said, he had some seriously old school attitudes there and that's putting it about as flatteringly as I can, yet his roles he did were authentic to that. There's something like to know that this guy was a badass when he was playing James Bond as a badass. Yeah. And there's just really, you know, nothing like him today because I'm even trying to think of like the bad guys in movies and stuff like that. Like, you know, Josh Brolin tends to be a bad guy, Rami Malek or whatever. Like these intense actors, they still tend to be pretty nice people mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. of their, their roles. But Sean Connery, by all accounts, really wasn't that nice of a person. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to... To make that point about Sean Connery, but um, that's really it. Rest in peace. Like I said, he hasn't done anything in many years anyways. And um, so let's move on to our uh, our first segment. Well, that would be crazy about cardboard. Uh, well, I mean, like we said from the outset, uh, we're kind of talking about war-themed games this episode. And we're going to maybe touch on a few of our favorites. I'm not sure how many you came up with. I have about, what I got here? I've got four. I've got five. Yeah. I mean, well, there's some, obviously when we, we stretch this out, there's different questions. So sure. I've got some that I have kind of memories with, but then I've got a few that I actually want to play that I looked up. Um, mm-hmm. I did something called prep, which one day I'll teach you to do. <laughs> I refuse. You I refuse, sir. I will not. I will. I will do <laughs> I the will podcast, not. but I will not put on the prep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know it's it's fun because one thing I've noticed is that a, a few, and you know these are coming. There's a couple of my favorite war gaming board memories that are actually with you personally, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. if you didn't see them coming, you're going to be reminded. So. Um, yeah, I'm actually legitimately excited about this topic. And so we'll, you know, we'll start with you. This is your segment to lead in. Um, some of your favorite war-themed board games that you played. Well, I mean, it's no secret that my favorite, I mean, game in general is Heroescape. I mean, if anything epitomizes, like, I mean, yeah, it's skirmish. Uh, but still, the, the, the thematically in that game, all these different, like pop culture, I guess they're pop culture, you know, pop culture heroes and icons from different time yeah. periods teleported to this world where there's like five generals, which quickly became actually seven, I think, near the end of its run. It's kind of this loose alliance against the evil that is Utgar, as these other generals are, are assembling their 
they're heroes to to fight Ukar's forces. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of, I mean, it was an easy number one. Yeah, uh, Heroescape. Heroescape is weird because I don't really have one good or crazy memory of Heroescape, but it's like this combination of playing it so much over about a, call it maybe an eight-year span. Yeah. That was so much fun because you know us guys would just arrive at your place you would have this awesome brand new map we've never seen before built that was somehow pretty fair and i mean it was really cool i mean you had 3d you had all these trains lava water trees everything like that and i mean you really went hardcore into it you bought a lot of figures we had a lot of choice yeah yeah there's a lot of, i have a lot of fucking hero escape and you know, I, when you talk about Heroescape, one of the first things that comes to mind is I've never had so much fun with a game I've sucked so bad at. <laughs> I Let's just admit it. It's like, you know, it's on the table, Heroescape, we haven't played in years. Yeah. Um, strategically, I was not good. And I'm like, you know, I picked stuff that I liked. You know, if a guy had a robotic arm and a Gatling gun in one hand and his backpack shot plasma, I'd be like, okay, I want this guy. But you would like, you know, pick, you know, the 50th militia line. I'm like, <laughs> who wants these guys? And you're like, but I get four. You know, there's strength in numbers. I can move them together. I can move yeah. them to high ground and get like additional rolls. I'm like, who cares about rolls when you have a robot arm, when you have a claw? There were a lot of really cool figures in that game, too. A lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was just, I was like a kid. I am a big kid. So, you know, I'm like, wow, it's a huge dragon. Why don't I spend all my allotted points on two dragons? (laughs) Two dragons. And like, um, I can't say Cyprian because Marty always took Cyprian. But (laughs) two dragons and like some really cheap character. Like one of the, you know, ninjas that had one defense. Can't play ninjas. Yeah, exactly. With one life. Although you would always go for Charos, the big green beefy dragon. I know, because he had Counter-Strike, which was yeah. so cool. You know, Exa Shields hit, and he had a good defense. I think he had a defense of six. Plus, he was a big dragon. So I'm like, what else do I need to know? Like, if I get attacked up close, <laughs> he can strike back. But it never really did. It never really worked out. You know, I honestly, I think the Counter-Strike is a trap in that game because, like, you, there are more skulls on the die than there are shields. So the, the attacker is right. always favored on a straight-off, like, one-to-one roll, right? Right. I, I think it's one of, the, one of the traps. But, I mean, that was what also was so cool about that game is just all the different unique powers that a lot of them were very thematic, yes. too. Yes. Very cool. Like, I mean, just even the, uh, you know, the Matrix agent ripoffs, the Krav Maga agents. When you're shooting at them from range, they like automatically block one thing as if they're moving so fast they're dodging your bullets kind of shit, right? Like really cool inspired um, design, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, You never guessed this, but kind of my biggest what if or I wish if in Heroescape was there was one team that I really liked. I think they might have been called the Aquila or they had a creature called Aquila. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. the spider? Okay, that team, I felt, was really underserved. And yeah. they just didn't seem to have a lot of units for that team. And I wish they kind of fully built it up like some of the others. Yeah, well, that general came about late in its run. 
and I guess they just it's, it, it kind of came like right before this strange period where uh, I believe it, um, it was acquired by or it became like a Wizards property, Wizards of the Coast property. And then they moved into basically just reusing their D&D minis, giving some new stats and putting them into the HeroScape world. Right. So there was like this whole era of Dungeons and Dragons HeroScape, which it kind of fit, it kind of didn't fit. I don't know. But I agree with you that it was like this insectoid kind of flavored general and you know units and and uh man what is that big drag it's got that huge dragonfly with a stinger that zips yeah. around yeah yeah it was cool <laughs> yeah it's a very yeah, cool looking cool so i mean i guess i'll, I'll jump into my favorite war game and this is going to be absolutely no surprise which is axis and allies um specifically axis and allies the global uh, I think I'm sure I've discussed it here, touched on it before. Axis and Allies Global is actually two Axis and Allies games that can be played completely independently with their own rule set. One for the Pacific, one for uh, the European, but they were meant to be pushed together, the boards, to form a massive global game that then has uh, brand new settings, you know, how many units you get and all sorts of new rules and bonuses and things like that. And for like a guy that likes military history, like it's really cool that Australia and New Zealand are their own team and the French and the French like almost almost always get knocked out the very first turn. But there's a rule set so that late in the game, like real, they can be brought back. They get a surge of units. Um, I mean, it'd be very late game, but they technically could surge back. Um, you, I mean, you've got all the big powers, but um, you've even got China, who usually gets overlooked in mm-hmm. World War II, despite them being a big, big player. So, yeah, I I really like it. I love the units. You know, it's a little bit difficult for the Axis to win, but I think that's kind of historical. And, you know, it's just part of the game. But, uh yeah, I really like the mechanics in Axis and Allies. I have always liked this, and it's not just for global, but for all the games. Where like a bigger unit, the more likely you are to hit on a roll of D six, because everything's a D six. So you know your friggin' battleships and stuff like that are hitting on a four under, which is great. But you can even like in this one, I love the pairing. I love how you can like pair infantry with an artillery one for one, and if you roll twos instead of ones, now they're hits. You know, that's big. You can pair, like, um, tanks with tactical bombers to, like, improve the tactical bomber attack. Yeah, it's really cool. There's, like, strategic bombing, even though we never do it. It actually is quite useful if you invest in it. Yeah. I mean, the one story that I want to say about Axis and Allies that was great was when I first got it, uh, Leland and I played several games, Just Us, after a birthday where where we played. And... um, there was one game where I was like nailing Leland as the Axis. Um, I actually had successfully Sea Lion, which is taking out Britain. And that's a big move. Like if you're Germany, you take out Britain, uh, the the allies are on their heels. And, you know, Leland was like, oh, yeah, oh, that, that really hurts. Um, you know, oh, oh, shit, that hurts. And I, maybe you were real. I'm making it sound like you were fake about it. But <laughs> no, I was you, you, pissed. 
But you remember where this is going is you had a little dinky transport somewhere and I left the sea zones to Germany open. I left Germany completely open. It had like, (laughs) it didn't have a kid with a pitchfork within like a thousand (laughs) miles and you landed like a single guy on Germany and took it over. So what happens, listener, is I took over London and so I get all of Britain's money that turn. Well, then I guess Britain went or it might have been the US with that little uh, transport takes Germany so then now you plunder all of Germany's money. So you basically got Britain's money plus all of Germany's <laughs> money. Germany. Now Germany has zero. <laughs> and I forget if I tried to hang on or if I just cried and conceded right then. It's pretty <laughs> I bad. think we might have we might have gone around uh around the hammer a couple of times, but yeah, yeah. Honestly though, like does that game ever get like actually played to completion? Like you kind of get to a point where it's like, okay, like it's very clear there's a winner. Yeah, well, with with my friends, I have never gotten to a true win, which actually isn't that hard. If you play through a weekend, and I'm not talking like, you know, three 12-hour days or anything like that, you have to capture a certain amount of victory cities. It's actually pretty easy to do in, like, I would say six to ten hours. Um, I play online, you know, where you don't have to move around the units and stuff like that or worry about following the rules. Um, Because it's done. And um, yeah, it's pretty easy to pound through a game in a few hours. Hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, that's one of my favorites, too. Like, like you say, like, I have such good memories playing with you. I just I took it off of my list because I knew it was going to be on yours. So (laughs) fair enough, my friend. But it's up there for me, too. Yeah, it's a it's a really great. It's just ridiculous. The scope of it. It's just insanity when it's on the table. It's so cool to have that on the table. The board is quite literally 18 square feet. It is it's three feet huge. wide by six feet long. Yeah. So you have to have like a legit big gaming table or rectangular dining room table to play it on. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, we knew that one was coming. So uh, what's your next? Uh, I think my next is I'm going to go with uh, Shogun. And okay. man, I love this game. I love the game so much. This game has... So you know it's it's um it's like the it's like a Japanese themed version of another German themed Wallenstein. So they're basically the same game. I believe there are a little a few differences between them, but I don't think not enough to really warrant owning both of them. But Shogun is really rad. You you know you're programming your actions. You have like ten action cards, right? And you uh, or ten action spaces, sorry, on your board and. When you own a province, you have the province card and you place the cards face down on the actions, which is going to show where you're going to take those actions, right? But the actions are never in the same order. You get to see, I think it's the first, I think it's the first half. So first five of them are face up. The last five go face down and you resolve them from one to 10. And I don't know, there's just something really, I guess really the game is the dice tower or the, sorry, the cube tower is what it is. And, you know, the cube tower, you, 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 what, what do they call it? They, you seed the tower at the beginning of the game by putting uh, a certain X number of everyone's colored cubes into the tower, along with some of the green farmers, which represent well, farmers in the land of, in, in the country of Japan. And cubes will stay in it just because of the way it's designed. It's got some crisscrosses inside of it. Functions similarly to a dice tower. It's supposed to shake things up as you pour it through them. But it just adds that little bit of chance uh, akin to rolling dice when you 
move your forces from one province into another to try to, to try to take it out. It's I don't know just ah this game's really cool and actually there is an article on ttpodcast.com about Shogun that I wrote forever ago. Yeah, those articles from 2005 were great. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I got to get back on that. I I'm a writer, I got to produce more content. But I say that over and over and listener knows I'm constantly letting him or her down. So yeah, I have good memories of Shogun. My memories of Shogun, though, are very compressed. Um, I could be wrong. You could have perhaps played it with many others, but playing it with me, it seems like we played it a bunch in a few months span, and then I never played it again. Yeah, I think there was a there was a there was a time period where it was really hot, and it's like all it's I hot. wanted to play. It's all I wanted to get to the table. I mean, I have some memories with other games, but really, th- this is, was actually a surprise. I could only pick two. Um, favorite war themed board games and the other i feel like is almost cheating but not uh twilight struggle okay you know it's cold yep. war of course um it's it's influence it's warlike pressure but i guess there's coups but that's about yeah. the closest thing to an actual war other than maybe if a card says like vietnam war or something like that but um I just really like Twilight Struggle. Me too. Me too. And some of the rules are really obscure, so I like to play it on Steam, but then I never win against the computer. It's, it's like fucking so hard. hard. That AI is ridiculously difficult. It is. It's like it knows everything. Um, but that doesn't take away that the game is fun and that I like that whatever you're playing is a Cold War moment. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of Cold War moments. Right. You can deck of cards at a Cold War moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um if you're if you're I think if the two players I mean this is one it is a two player only game, right? So it Right. It really is it falls victim to what a lot of games what a lot of two player games or some games in general are are affected by is if one player knows the game significantly better than the other, then that other that player that is new to it is probably not gonna have a great time depending on uh, you know how how merciful the veteran player is, um, but I mean, shit. If you want, if you got a friend to just learn it with, and the two of you are, are playing it for the like you and I did, or starting to play this game for the first time, learning it, learning the ins and outs of it. I mean, obviously, in these types of games, generally there is the best, the like definitively the best opening move, right? Right, and that is the case with Twilight Struggle. But I think even despite that, it's never a sure victory for either side, which is which is great. I mean, you do have a bit of randomness in in who gets which cards, but it has that mechanic where you when you still if you play your opponent's card, they're still benefiting from that because it's still their event. Like it's still the event is occurring. So it's still in their favor, but you initiating it get you know what you may need in that instance so the payoff is also part of the the mental calculations that you're doing while you're playing it and looking at what you have in your hand so it's very interesting card play i really love that uh that card driven game yeah yeah absolutely so those are the only two i've got for my favorite um do you happen to have a third or Oh, well, I had a couple of honorable mentions i don't think you and i have ever played this one but uh, i fucking love the duke and it's not really a war theme. It's it's more chess like than anything. So it's about as warry as chess is. 
Um, right. But you, you, you know, it's on this grid. I think it's like a five by five grid and you have your tiles. So you have your Duke and you start with two footmen. And whenever you move a tile, they each have a depiction of the grid. And, you know, uh, depending on how they move has a different symbol on the tile, but say the Duke himself, when he starts out, he can slide any number of tiles uninterrupted from the left to the right. When you do so, say if I moved him from the middle of the board three spaces over, every time you move a tile, you flip it. And now it has a different way it moves. So the next time you move the Duke, so the Duke flips to be going as far as he wants up or down. So then you could zip him up and then he would flip and moving left, etc. And the, there's a bit of randoms in there where you both uh, players, again, a, a two-player only game, have their bag of tiles. And as your turn, you could randomly grab a tile from the bag to put onto the board. So there's kind of randomness in that aspect. Sometimes you might get into a, a situation where really the only thing you can do is pull a tile and the tile could win you the game or it could just mean, okay, it's over. <laughs> right. Really right. cool. I'm fucking awful at it. Um, listener Riley just destroys me of that game every time we play it. But it's one of those games where if you play it quick enough, it's like he and I will literally sit down there and we'll play like two dozen games, like over and over. Wow. And over. It's so cool. So cool. And then, of course, the best war game ever, maybe even eclipsing Heroescape, Transatlantic, because it's a war for the Blue Ripple. <laughs> I love that game. Oh, that's a good drop. That's a good drop. That's hilarious. Awesome game. Love it to death. Yeah. And you're right. You you will do dirty, dirty things to win the Blue Ribbon. <laughs> Hey, I mean, you are warring with the advancing tech of these ships. <laughs> you are, yeah. Uh, it's 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 pretty cray cray. No, that's that's a good uh, uh, that's a good pick. One of them actually. Uh, this is kind of last minute honorable mention. I didn't want to mention this game, even though I like it, because I personally do not consider it a quote unquote war game. But it actually topped a bunch of lists. Uh, Twilight Imperium Four. Okay. I don't see it that way. I mean, obviously it has ships. You can get into huge battles. But the people that actually win the game are much more strategic and just building, going for the planet Rex, stuff like that. So, so okay. So because, I mean, yes, it, it is technically a 4X game. And Exterminate is one of those Xs in that right. genre. But that's only at most 25% of the game, depending on your play style. So you're not dependent on the extermination to be successful. Is that what you kind of, is that what you Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what I thought about too, is I love civilization six, the video game, which is four X. I probably fight way more in civilization than I do in, in uh, twilight Imperium four, like as a ratio of my time, but I still would not consider civilization six, a war game. Okay. I, okay. I was wondering I if that was uh, going to be in spoilers next segment. I I think I agree with you, honestly. For Ti, well, I mean Ti Four specifically, because that's the only edition I've I've played. I think that combat in Ti Four is like one of its worst parts. Yeah. But yeah. but the threat of it is integral, right? Right. But the actual right. act of it, unlike like. Axis and Allies Global, like you have to fight to be successful in that game. So yes, I get where you're yeah. coming from. I, I totally get that. Yeah, you said you have uh, a couple games that you want to play. I have, I have one 
uh, as well that I've always like since I got into the hobby I've wanted to play. But why don't you? You said you had two, right? Yeah, I've actually got three. Whoa! Um, okay. But I I I can kind of whip through them here um, because really there's not a ton we can say about them because I'm pretty sure you haven't played any of the three. Um, the first is Fortress America, which is the only one I've actually mentioned to you before. That's kind of a fantasy game where America is like under attack from three angles. I think it's the Chinese, the Russians, and the Mexicans. Um, but like some of them are coming through Canada down towards the U.S. So it's actually like a three-on-one game. Okay. Um, and it's kind of like Cold War gone hot. So yeah, that's one I'm really interested in in playing uh the other is tide of iron from 2007 which kind of looks axis and allies like and it has a ton of awards and award nominations that it got back in 2007 is like some great war games so hey axis and allies like and supposedly a great uh war game i mean that's one i'd look into when we can actually see each other again tide of iron 2007 <laughs> last is a much older game called memoir 44 Ooh, yeah yeah Oh, you've heard of it. It's it's very popular. Yeah, and it has a ton of expansions yes, to it. That's it actually the bunch of shit. That that's the attraction to me is that I could get this base memoir forty four and expand it in so many directions that I cool. wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd definitely be down for playing Memoir Forty Four. Awesome. Um the one I had again, like very at at the very beginning of, of me getting into the tabletop hobby, like seriously. I was, I mean, I used to watch a ton of uh, Rodney Smith's Watch It Played. Um, it was like predominantly some of the board game content that I was consuming, which was quite a lot at the time. But he did a video of how to play on a miniatures game called Dust Tactics or Dusk. There's also a version Dust Warfare. So one, one of which is an actual like, Tape, like you could get like you would buy a board game and it comes you know uh, with a few miniatures in it and, and some scenarios and stuff but then the, the other version is just a straight up tabletop miniatures game a la like 40k like warhammer 40k and it's uh it's an alternate 1940s reality where uh alien tech has been discovered during world war ii Ooh. the the aesthetic of it is really cool you know i love the, the the era of it is awesome you know if you like you like Wolfenstein and all that kind of shit. Like that's the vibe you kind of get, right? Nice. Uh, it looks it looks really rad. It's like way way far out out of print. Like Fantasy Flight was doing it in like I think two thousand and five or something stupid like that. Like there's no way you can fucking get any of it now. So it's like a pipe wow. dream. Like I should have gotten tried to find some stuff like six years ago. Um, but ah oh, man, I've always wanted to play that. I still do. I think it would be great. I think if I I think I may just want an excuse to get. A miniatures a, a, a tabletop miniatures game or something i don't know yeah yeah it would be fun um you know what was considered a war game that you have that we haven't played yet is uh star wars rebellion oh yeah you haven't played that yeah i fucking forgot i had that <laughs> and i love the video game that it's based on i i play right. that so much i played that for over I hate to say, like, 23 years. I just finished another game of it this past weekend. Wow. And it made me think of it as I was prepping for this. Um, Man, I completely overlooked that. But, yeah, I mean, I haven't played it, so it's it's on my shelf. You own of, it. On it's my free. shelf of shame. 
Shelf of shame. I mean, it'd be, or be fun shelf to try. of opportunity, as the Detmers like to say. Now, that's the glass half full kind of guy. Yeah, I'm know? surprised uh, John partakes in that. <laughs> it doesn't strike me as a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> uh, well, that was good. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's just a couple other things I want to um, get into before we move on, and and they're not they're not that big. One of them is actually I have to talk about this crazy war game from like the '70s called Waterloo that I played in grade eight. Mm-hmm. So we had this teacher bring it in, and it was one of those games. There's a lot of war games like older ones where the pieces are actually just like little squares with like a value on it, and they're cardboard. Yeah. And this game was so hardcore, like we played for an entire week at lunch hour, so like an hour long, but a same group of guys, game was set up in this teacher's room, and the most that happened after five hours was one regiment had flipped over, meaning it was like half dead. That was, okay. <laughs> they're like, they're like clashes, but unless you rolled really high, all what would happen is like a unit would move back or retreat. Okay. So it was more almost like <laughs> pushing things around. So I just yeah. had to say that as as one of my worst memories. Um, the only other point I really had on that was that Risk sucks in comparison to so many other board games. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, just a bunch of pieces just roll die. They're all the same. The units are just blah. True, true. But I mean, like, you, you still got to look at look at some of these predecessors and be like, okay, well, we're, 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 at a, we're where we are because of some of these these games but they've had their time they, we can move on from them i think that's fair enough well speaking of moving on do you have any other memories or anything you want to bring up or do we just get i on think to we the let's move on let's let's get into the next segment all right it's time for the video game variety show uh this segment called call to duty so similarly as us discussing our favorite uh war-based uh board games uh this is Video games, I left it open to first person, strategy, basically anything goes. So like in the last segment, uh, Leland, I'm interested in some of your favorite uh, war games for video games. Oh, man, I struggled with this. I don't think, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would have, before trying to put together something for this segment, I don't know if I would have said, I don't like video war video games but clearly i don't play them so i guess i don't (laughs) so so actually i mean this this one could have been valid last segment but i actually really dig this war of mine the video Mm. game yeah and and i i I guess kind of a kind of akin to where you were going with ti4 not being you know a a quote-unquote war game like the conflict isn't the main thing in this war of mine, right? You're 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 surviving through the war, but you're not a soldier, uh, really, right? You're just you're just somebody caught in the middle. So I think it right. might be a bit of a stretch, but I don't know. I I really like the bleakness of that game, and yeah. how destitute you feel at all times. Like it does a really good job of evoking the emotions that it wants to evoke. And I think it was just right. really well done. And I mean, I think we did. Uh, didn't we do a, a back-to-back feature review of the board game and the video game forever ago? We did, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and the the I mean the board game does a hell of a job emulating the feel of the video game, so they did a fantastic job creating that that board game. Yeah, no, I'll totally give you that one because I think just the creativity of focusing a game that's actually good on the civilians that are Mm -hmm. always involved. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely gonna have more of these than you. Uh, I'll be straight (laughs) honest. My favorite war game, and this this is the one that I pushed before to anybody who likes story-based um, video game war games. So I'm talking like the playing it cinematic, great voice acting, great cutscenes, great story is World in Conflict Soviet Assault, the 2007 game of the year by lots of publications. That game is so good. That game, I played through so many times the missions are incredible it's a cold war game russia invades the u.s but they actually invade just south of where leland and i are located everything is kind of based around seattle kind of moves into the midwest but then the americans push the russians back into seattle and i mean the games like locales are realistic like i can drive a tank down roads my family actually took to go to vacations and i can see landmarks like it's the craziest feeling oh that's cool to to do that and the missions are very varied it's not just you know kill this or do that every mission feels completely unique there's a whole subset where as a flashback you go to like europe at the beginning of the war and play through like i think maybe four or five missions you know there's there's even some weird stuff like uh, for some reason on YouTube and stuff, the Russians made these weird half planes, half boats called Akrano planes. And now there's lots of like YouTube videos on them. They're like a sea skimming kind of huge jet powered boat plane. And Americans and, you know, us Canadians, we never really built anything like that. But the Akrano planes play a big role in one mission of this game. And I always thought they're the coolest thing. Now, if you go back and play it, you'll be like, wow, Akrano planes. Um, there's like self-sacrifice. There's... Uh, even a nuke in one scene that's really kind of emotional where like one of your guys is calling for a nuke on himself and you have a certain amount of time but the voice actor gets like increasingly more desperate to the point that he's basically crying when there's like a few seconds left yes i fire it just fucking fire it and um it's yeah it's a game that kind of emotionally affected me it made me feel like i was there and the scalability is amazing You can zoom out and, like, control 50 units, or you can zoom in on, like, one helicopter and, like, see the pilot in the cockpit manipulating the controls with your mouse wheel, and it's, like, seamless. I don't even know how they get that scale. So is it an RTS? It's an RTS. So you you don't build your units. You start with a set amount of units, and... Uh, You get reinforcements if you're doing well. They just pour in. But your main points that you get for doing well are to actually call in artillery strikes, Mm -hmm. which are really cool because they're not uh, instant. They can have anywhere from like a 10 to a 40 second delay. So you basically have to place an artillery strike where the enemy will be or if you're sure they're not going to move. Okay, okay. And that's, that's really cool. Um, and there's points where the enemy really attacks hard, so you kind of have to layer artillery strikes. So you'll have like a, you know, tank killer jet come in and buzz someone with its huge Gatling gun while artillery strikes are hitting, 
well you call like a b-52 to do a huge carpet strike over it like 10 seconds later (laughs) oh cool that part's like not realistic but um (laughs) but it's it's really cool so highly recommended listener if you're into a single player cold war very immersive well voice acted game like all the voice actors are great but the main voice actor for like the americans is alec baldwin Oh, cool. Very notable guy. Wow. So, yeah, I won't talk about that anymore, but that's my number one pick. Well, speaking of an RTS, uh, my next one is They Are Billions, which, again, kind of a... I don't know if it's not... uh, But basically, this world has zombies, and it has billions and billions of zombies. And you start in this settlement, you have this little town hall, and you need to survive like 100 days, basically. Right. And every X amount of days, a wave of zombies comes to attack you and try to kill you, and the waves get larger and larger. The enemies, the you know, more varied types, um, different types of mutated zombies and stronger types, et cetera, et cetera. And you just, you, it, it's a race against these incoming waves to get enough land, to, to gra- get enough resources to build up enough soldiers and uh, offensive and defensive capabilities. I don't know. I just this game's really it's really rad. It's really cool. That that totally sounds like a war game to me. I know the theme's a little different, but totally totally sounds like a war game to me. Yeah, I reckon. I mean, I I now I'm thinking this is like I'm getting all these revelations about my my video gaming habits, and like I'm not much of an RTS player either. But no. I don't know. Some about this. I think I think probably it's probably the theme, right? Because it's. It's kind of right. steampunky. Some of the things like you can get, you can get these little these little guys with suits and a tie in these huge mechs that are like the best unit you can get. They just literally walk around with two double machine guns and just mow down anything. <laughs> like, oh, it's pretty. And then they go cool. to the opera after. They just park politely and exactly. Get to the opera. They're dressed to impress. You know what they remind me of? Is like a mix. It's like an Ed 209 with a cockpit is kind of what they remind me of. Nice. It's really cool. I don't know. The game's really cool. Um, it's It can be difficult. And actually, for a while, it was in like that that like pre-release, you know, like that beta. And it a few months ago, I think before the pandemic, it got its full release finally. So there actually is a uh, a, a campaign with it as well, not just the like the survival mode, which I haven't touched the campaign, though. I, I like the survival stuff a lot. There's a lot of different uh, levels that you can progress through to in the survival mode and, and move up to. You can, you know, you can crank up the difficulty percentage and all, all the usual crap, right? Give yourself a challenge. Right. It's, it's cool. I would definitely recommend checking it out. Okay. Yeah, that's sweet. The second recommendation that I have, uh, this one is from Good Old Games, um, but it's very inexpensive. Um, it's called Panzer General 2. It was probably the first war game I really got into. It's quite old. I think it's from like nine, 1997 or something like that. You know, it's hexes. It's, um, you know, not great graphics, just kind of like sprites that move along, even though they change angle and stuff like that. But um, it's definitely the one that I'm suggesting today that's the most historically realistic. You know, you can be the Russians, the Germans. They all have their own campaigns, the British, uh, the USA. But, of course, it's panzers, which is tanks, but it's not just tanks. Um, it's infantry, it's planes, uh, there's a couple ship missions as well. Don't play it if you're someone that needs really good graphics. Do play it if you're looking for a hidden gem, inexpensive game that has 
depth and realism to it. Basically, the only time the game gets unrealistic is at the end of the German campaign because uh, Germany invades the USA. That never happens. So there's a couple missions there that are kind of a little bit unrealistic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's really good. And, And kind of a unique point of it is you don't just win a battle. You can actually have what's called... Uh, I'm going to actually get this wrong here, but there's basically like a a stupendous victory. I know it's not called that. There's, you know, a a victory, just a plain victory. And then there's a tactical victory, which is like a skin of your teeth, barely pulled it out victory. Okay. And it depends how many turns it actually takes you to win the battle. If the timer runs out, you lose. So, yeah. And what's interesting is, so for example... Um, as the Germans, if you get a bunch of those splendid victories or whatever they're called, uh, you go to sea line. But if you just oh, get cool. some normal victories, some tactical victories, then you invade Russia, which is also historically, so you don't sea lion, which mm-hmm. is historical. But had you sea lioned, you would get better units earlier and some experimental units that you can start to build, like bigger, cool. better tanks and aircraft. Yeah. So, yeah, it definitely rewards you for doing better in a shorter amount of time. Mm. So, again, listener, good old games. I'm not going to harp on this one. But if you're looking for an inexpensive, hardcore, historical, hidden gem, uh, turn base, turn base, I should mention. Yeah. Uh, Panzer General 2. That's cool. I like that. That sounds rad. Um, the only other one I really had that kind of stood out to me was the original Kill Zone, way, way Ooh. back in uh, PlayStation 2. And it mostly, like, I don't remember anything about the story. And it, it is, it's, it's, again, like this alternate, like, WW2 kind of thing. Or is it supposed to be futuristic? I, just, I don't know. But, like, it has futuristic vibes. And right. I think the, the, the people you're fighting are, like, Nazi-ish. Obviously, they're very, they're supposed to be Nazi-ish. But the, the, basically, this is, like, one of the games that I have really great memories of playing multiplayer with my little brother. And just like deathmatching on maps, just he and I uh, against each other. And the coolest thing that we always do is, is the, when you use your grenades and you would cook them, right? You would hold them and they would, the timer on them, their explosion would be, but on the grenade was the little timer. So it's like this meter oh. that would fill up and it would like make a beep, nice. beep, beep. And oh man, just like, that's like the one thing I remember just having a hell of a time. That's all we would do. We would just cook grenades and just whip them at each other because it was so cool the way they, the way they would show how the, oh man i don't know just that immediately came to mind when we were thinking of this topic such good memories playing with my playing with my brother that that is that is a good memory it's like you know you want to cook this thing down to like one second so you throw exactly in <laughs> <throwing> his fucking <laughs> face <laughs> i get that appeal <laughs> i do you know I guess I I had a a thing here, and we can kind of whip through it. I had a thing like, what do these games get right and get wrong? Well, I mean, in your case, you kind of really picked uh, some kind of more fantasy-based games. So I don't want to say you can get realism wrong when they're not meant to be um, realistic. You know, I would say, though, that realism is something that a video game with good graphics seems to struggle with for some reason, Mm -hmm. in my experience. Um, Mm. The harder core historical stuff, for whatever reason, seems to have 
really poor graphics and that's like even to nowadays oh and now is is that a product of the companies that are producing them like they're not your typical video game developers with the larger budgets and you know the the better tech maybe the more manpower they can throw like for workforce they can throw out games like this you know my hypothesis is actually that to have that very high amount of realism you usually have to have a turn-based game because it has to be kind of grand strategy Mm -hmm. and that in addition to that when it's a turn-based game it just makes more sense to not have the world's most like fantastic and active graphics yeah like one of the things i want to do here is um recommend some games and a game that i'm not saying is my favorite because i barely know how to play in fact there's some areas of the game that i barely know how to play to the point that i almost have to say i don't know how to play like ground combat and stuff um but it's called hearts of iron 4 it's a game that actually aaron hempler mentioned as one of his favorites Mm, when he mm -hmm. co-hosted here several months ago yeah and that game is like I guess it's 3D models because it only came out a few years ago, but it's all it's almost like Axis and Allies broken down as sea zones and different places to walk. And like when your soldiers walk somewhere, they like walk standing in place and there's like an arrow showing they're slowly (laughs) moving to the next territory. Yeah. And then they move and like continue to walk or like the tank will shake because it's supposedly moving even though it's not. As this arrow slowly okay. goes, <laughs> yeah. so it's very hardcore, but the graphics are are not great. And again, it falls back down to it's it's a pretty realistic game. Mm-hmm. Now I wonder if that I mean is that like potentially a, a purposeful disconnect from the realism? Because otherwise, there's very little disconnect because of how realist how how efficiently efficient they are with depicting the realism. Yeah. Well, I think there's some places... Now, I haven't actually played it. I've just seen some video and stuff. But some of the later close combat games, which I guess I've now spoiled it because the close combat series available on GOG.com, except for the first one for some reason. Um, the close combat series, which is quite long, is one that I was going to recommend. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of squad-based. Uh, it's not like, you know, your guy gets shot and dies. You know, people can get incapacitated. They can get slightly wounded. And that's kind of a realistic game that's actually real time and yet still feels pretty realistic. Okay. So. Well, I'm, I'm interested in some of your, your hidden gems here then. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a couple hidden gems. I mean, I would have called the close combat, um, a hidden gem. Another one that I played that is actually really good, but I need to play more of it is called Radio Commander. It's really unique because it's actually Vietnam War, but you don't see anything on the map. Like you you don't have a map to see units going around. What you do is you get constant radio reports. So you have to determine where to send, you know, uh, units or fire support or something like that based off the radio, based off someone saying, you know, hey, we're in Zulu Sector Charlie pinned down not sure where they are think it's north northwest and so you kind of you you do have a map but you don't really know where these units are and so you're like okay well based off the radio what i'm hearing i should fire here oh that's cool yeah yeah so it's called radio commander so that's kind of reminiscent of uh 
uh, Captain Sonar, which is a, a board game where it's you play up to eight people, two teams of four manning a submarine, and you're hunting each other. Each player has a station, and one of them is like the the radio officer. So they're listening to the opposing team's captain give out directions to the engine person. Oh yeah, try, and trying to plot a course on the grid and trying to figure out where they are and. You can only really relay to the person next to you, right, to, to the next station. And you're, like, moving things up down, up the chain to the captain and back down to the weapons. And, <laughs> and that that's sounds so very cool. reminiscent of that. Yeah, it's that's a fun game, too. But that sounds cool. So I cool. like that. Con- I like that idea, right? Like that that different form of, of information, communication to apply to, to different differing scenarios. Right. Um, the second hidden gem I've got... Actually, there's well, there's one more after it, but they're actually made by the the same um, company. Who's it by? This was actually the only game on Steam where the company replied to me because oh, Killer Fish Games. That's it, Killer Fish Games. So the game is called Cold Waters, and it's a submarine game, Cold War submarine game. So there's a couple campaigns. I think one's versus China, and there's like a campaign in the '80s versus the Soviet Union. And you pick one of a few kinds of submarines. It's third person, so it's not first person. Um, But it's really realistic. There's like sonar. When you get a sonar contact, you have to go through like a book in the game. It's like a digital book. But you have to try to map the sonar waves you're getting with like pre-recorded waves for a certain ship. And why that's important is, for example, you know, if you get the sonar waves for a week... 1950s diesel powered russian sub well then you can go at it a bit quicker you can be more aggressive um but if that sonar contact is for a brand new like cresta series 2 sub hunting destroyer you want to get the fuck out of the other way from that thing (laughs) and what's actually what's most horrific is um, one of the sonars is kind of similar to one of the old subs, but it's for like fishing trawlers. Mm-hmm. So you can fire a torpedo and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit. And here's like some poor fishing boat with like some bearded Norwegians hauling their nets <laughs> and like oh, no. a torpedo is going towards them and you can try to destruct the torpedo, but it doesn't always work. Or like the torpedoes have wires mm-hmm. to guide and the wires often break. So this torpedo then goes to homing and it's like the sound effects are great. So it's like. and it's like on this trawler and you're like guys jump overboard and boom (laughs) blows up a fishing trawler oh that's funny it's really realistic too like when the russians start hunting you like they'll send helicopters that drop sonar buoys into the water and they'll hover there Mm -hmm. they'll drop depth charges like um it's it's really tough but the stuff you can do is really cool too like you can blow all your air and like fall 500 feet to the ocean floor and like lay there and just hope like hell as your air recharges somehow that you don't get seen because you can't can't move after that point um oh. or that you're deep enough that depth charges won't hit you that they're set for the wrong depth right. to explode that's and so cool. you hide and you just hear like in your headphones like oh that's pretty tense it's it's really awesome yeah and even the sonar like i said it pings you can active ping or like wait to hear if another thing pings you and that gives you what direction they came from but you Mm -hmm. don't know depth or anything like that it's so deep like in the game that there's even ocean layers so if you hide in a different thermal layer of the ocean 
whoever's below you or above you has less of a chance. They they can't really detect you that well. So there's mm. so many techniques. Wow. Yeah. Is yeah, this a newer really one? Cool. Uh, when did when did Cold Waters come out? Uh, 2017. So not that long ago. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds really sophisticated. As far as like it sounds like a full on simulator. Simulator. Pretty much. And I'll give, just because it's short, I'll give my last one, which was mm-hmm. by Killer Fish as well. It's called Atlantic Fleet. If you've ever liked those games where it's like turn-based, you've got two sides, you kind of have to guess on, you know, shooting a gun, like how horizontal and vertical you have to guess in your shells lob. Well, it's it's like a battleship game. It's like right. you lob shells at each other. Um, and there's a bunch of different cruisers, destroyers, submarines, things like that. It's only German and British with like two American ships in it. But, but what this game gets right is all the effort and resources Killer Fish put into the ships was to make them have as hyper-realistic buoyancy as possible. So the ships takes hits, takes damage, list, sink a bit, slow down... They have all sorts of battle damage they can take, such as like front radar, rear radar, pumps. They turret, You can blow up turrets. You can blow up secondaries. You can knock out torpedoes. You can do all sorts of battle damage to them. But they really sink and take damage in a realistic way. Cool. Which, which is a lot of fun. That's cool, man. I, I just have never played any games like these. I must, I'm missing out. Maybe you are. Like, uh, Atlantic Fleet is very accessible. Cold yeah. Waters isn't. So don't play Cold Waters unless you're a hardcore kind of simulation fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly uh, Atlantic Fleet uh, is very accessible. Cool. And it's good to just kill 20 minutes. Totally, you know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, And so I like to, like, basically every ship I've ever sunk, I watch sink because... They always sink in such a realistic, unique way. <laughs> and uh, I just watch them, like, how they're going to flood. And are they going to capsize? Or are they going to, like, some bob there for several minutes? Um, some go, like, you know, go ass first in and kind of sink very politely straight down from <laughs> stern to bow. And, like, that kind of de- that depends on the the how, how they're constructed, too, right? And just how they would go down like where the different rooms might be located and, and it's yes okay yeah. so inside it's all bulkheadized yeah so like there's there's times where you can escape with a ship that's got they call it freeboard it means how much until the water spills over the ship or it seems like it's two feet by the bow that this thing somehow survives but wow. it's got watertight compartments um the other thing is that's cool is there's magazine detonations so you know, you may have hit a ship early on a few bulkheads away from a magazine and the, the game will never tell you that there's a fire there, but there could be an invisible fire. And so, you know, you're maybe aiming at another ship, five, ten minutes of gameplay down the ro- road and all of a sudden this huge jet of flame shoots out one of the ships because the fires made it to the magazine and that fucker just like oh. rolls over and sinks the 32nd. Oh, that's cool. Oh, man. It's giving me like ftl vibes yeah 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 it's it's like that i mean the difference is ftl you can repair that's that's the difference you can't repair in this game cool that sounds rad yeah i just i don't know why this well i mean like you know me and like war movies too i'm not really a big i'm not a big war movie guy no they don't draw me um 
Like, uh, you know, unless it's Dunkirk, which is obviously the best war movie ever created. Uh, right. Harry Styles. <laughs> yes. Styles. Make sure you see it in IMAX. Or don't bother seeing it at all. <laughs> see it for the styles. Um, yeah. Do, do you, I guess in that case, do you have any recommendations? No. Like, I mean, like I say, I don't know. The I need to stretch to try to fit in, <laughs> fit the games I play into this category. Well, one question I was going to ask, and this kind of really just finishes it off, is I was interested where this genre ranked in your pantheon of games and if it was indeed like the lowest or if there's some genres you actually like hate like you might be indifferent to war games but you actually hate some genres uh that's i mean that's an interesting question because like even within this genre you're saying like there's so many different types of games i mean like the the rts uh, like you said the first person shooter uh, more of the, the the squad simulation games. I mean, there's so there's so much variety. It's really difficult to be like, nah, I just don't like war games. You know, like I think anybody could find something that they enjoy. Like I I like playing. I like RTS style games. I'm just really bad at them. I I don't have much experience with them, but I like the I really like them. I like the idea of them. Uh, I like the the tacticalness of them and the and the strategy that can be employed in in a lot of them. So, uh, man, I think this is just one. I need to give more of these games a chance. I think because I, I I mean the ones you've been talking about, like I think I'd really enjoy them. I just have yeah. never been drawn to them. I, I don't really know why. It's difficult to explain. Well. Every game I've mentioned, listeners, on either GOG or Steam. So if you have both, just search the various titles and you'll find one or both on each. Cool. So then is this your favorite? These Are these your favorite types of games? You know what? They're, I actually discovered that uh, they're kind of middle of the pack. Um, 4X certainly beats it out. Turn-based strategy in general, and I'm including things like Heroes of Might and Magic, things I wouldn't traditionally consider a quote-unquote war game, uh, beats it out. I really like turn-based games where I can think. Horror games beat out uh, beat out these. Walking simulators beat out these <laughs> yeah. for me. So, I mean, it's not like there's that many genres. And so basically, as I went through it, I realized it's middle of the pack. I figured I'd like them more than you, but yeah um not not super super yeah i mean i think i like i like more uh i think i'm most drawn to third person action adventure um not necessarily platformers although i do like me a good platformer um yeah so i I would probably put the board games like at they would be at the bottom i guess just by default i think they're at the bottom Fair enough, but you know, I figured like I figured you would have put like Walking Simulator lower. No, man, I I like a good Walking Simulator. Simulator, you do, man. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I dig for the experience. I'm I'm there for it too. Okay. You got to balance okay. all the action I'm getting from uh, from my God of Wars and my Dark Souls. That's right. You got to do like one of those 16-bit Finding Paradise or whatever. Those like nicey, sad, emotional. <laughs> Well, you know, you know what? Actually, I um, on the Encourageable Party's Twitch channel, I've been streaming Riven, a sequel to Mist. Wow, that's like old school, though. Yeah, I loved Riven as a kid. Never finished it. 
and I'm still too stupid to finish. I don't know if I can do it. Thankfully, the last time I played, there were a couple of people in chat that had played it before and they were able to help me figure out this code that I stumbled through. But so like, I like those games. I like those type of games. I mean, I'm shit at puzzle games too, though. So I don't know. It's funny that I like yeah. them when I'm so bad at them most of the time. Yeah, you know, me too. I just tend to hit a puzzle I can't beat and I give up. Yeah. Like, um, what was that one? It was one of the first GOG games I ever bought. I thought I tried to get you to buy it and you might have. It was called like Sanitarium, I think, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was that. I got stuck like right at the beginning of the Blade Runner adventure game, which I was waiting for forever. Oh, no. So I have to go through that. <laughs> Yeah, but I've got so many games to get through. So many games, so little time. Yeah, agreed, agreed. In every aspect. Well, end of show stuff? End of show. Hit it up. End of show. Our website is ttpopcast.com. The T of Podcast on Facebook, which Moby does an excellent job at maintaining our page. Uh, Podcast on Instagram. Again, some written content. Uh, there's my article on Shogun. Stay tuned for new Moby content. As far as written articles go, he's committed to it, listener. Hold him accountable to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye.